A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. This month, Yumiko introduced six new mesh tones available for all personalized pieces. And as a summer celebration, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. Visit yumiko.com for store hours, and be sure to follow along on Instagram, at yumiko, to stay up to date. The Universal Ballet Competition's 2021-2022 tour is coming soon to a city near you. Universal Ballet Competition is a premier student ballet competition, which has expanded into eight major metropolitan cities in the U.S. due to its growing popularity among dancers, studio directors, and the ballet community. Founding members Lisette Salgado and David Lucas's combined list of professional contacts allows them the privilege to recruit globally renowned dancers, company directors, and ballet school directors. These exceptional artists in the industry judge, mentor, and teach masterclasses during each UBC competition. Since its first season, UBC has hosted and mentored more than 10,000 dancers and awarded over $3 million in scholarships. Register today and experience the difference. More information and 2021-2022 tour dates available on their website, universalballetcompetition.com. That's universalballetcompetition.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we speak with Wes Chapman, former American Ballet Theater principal, director of Alabama Ballet, and sought-after teacher and coach. Wes tells us about his illustrious career performing on the Met stage with ABT, how he came to direct Alabama Ballet, and how he now shepherds young dancers into their professional careers as the chairman of the jury for the Universal Ballet Competition. Wes, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit offline and we're excited to hear more about your career and go through all of it. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about how you first got your start in dance. Um, short version is the, the um, United States government did a outreach program back in the 70s mm-hmm. called the Impact Project. And it was to designed to help the 10 most deprived counties in the country. And I lived in one of those called Bullock County, Alabama. And my grandmother was the elementary school principal. So she kind of was the point person Mm -hmm. for this project. And the government sent all these teaching artists and and dance and music and theater and art, visual arts and those sorts of things. And Virginia Tanner was the, the dance teacher. And there was no hotel in Union Springs, Alabama, my hometown. 
So all these artists stayed at my grandmother's house, which was across the street from the school. So we got to know all of these people through those. It was a two-year project. Mm -hmm. And um, Virginia said to my grandmother, she said, now when Wes gets a little older, I was six at the time, see if he likes ballet. Mm -hmm. So my mom, who was an educator as well, um, and my grandmother took me to Montgomery, which is the nearest sort of bigger town. And I ended up taking ballet as a nine-year-old. And it was just sort of everybody, when I walked into the ballet school, Montgomery School of Ballet, everybody was shocked that a boy had walked off the street to take ballet. (laughs) They had a few boys, but they had dragged them in there. Right, right. right. So that was the beginning of my dance training. And um, it was just sort of, I felt like when I walked into the dance studio that first time as a nine-year-old and I had a arm cast on I'd fallen off a horse and broken my arm and I was in my sock feet and no intention of taking the class and my grandmother and my mom um, were going to take advantage of going to the mall and to the grocery store because we didn't have those things in my we had grocery stores but not a mall so they went off and and took advantage of their Montgomery time and left me at the studio to watch class well when they got back I was at the bar Mm. And, you know, doing pot de beret in the center and stuff like that. I remember learning pot de beret the first day and we went back the next week and we were doing pot de beret again. And I was in my head, I was going, we did this last week. Can we move on? <laughs> there's more to this. I know there's more to it than pot de beret. Mm-hmm. But um, I was one of those kids that just took to it like, you know, a duck to water. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was alive for the first time. You know, I have real memories from being a nine-year-old forward. I mean, I remember, you know, things when I was younger, but but I really became alive at that. Right. So that was how I got started. And it was just kind of like, you know, straight up from there. Yeah. I, I also had my training as a young boy in the South. I'm wondering if you had any sort of similar experiences where I had this idea that was in complete contrast to my total love of ballet that I also was not quote, supposed to be doing it, that it was maybe shameful for a boy. What, what, what kind of um, feedback did you get from, say, your classmates about you being a dancer? You mean being bullied? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a football coach at the high school at that time. And I kept it very secret that I was a dancer from nine years old until about, I don't know, 11 or 12. And then I started appearing in the newspapers mm-hmm. or being in the, you know, Nutcracker and stuff mm-hmm. in Montgomery. So the secret was out. And that was a really hard time for me because, you know, there's only so much protection your parents can provide you right. when you're not with them mm-hmm. and, and so much that the teachers can provide you. Right. So um, a lot of my classmates were very typically um, cruel mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. And that was really hard, but um I, I felt like in the long run, it made me a stronger person and it made me a real advocate for teaching school. Now I teach school now right. to make sure that kids are not bullied because it is permanent damage. Right. Did it ever make you kind of waver in your decision to dance? Were you ever oh, like, yeah. Oh, this is, yeah. A lot. A yeah. lot. Um, but at that point, even at that, at that age, I knew that if I quit, they, they won. Right. Mm. And it made me go even better and harder and more focused. Mm. And, and I had the propensity to be a dancer. I had the body for it. I had the feet. I had all of the sort of natural coordination. So everybody in the dance world around me was, you know, oh, my God, look at this boy. <laughs> and everybody at school was trying to beat me up. Right. So it was such a harsh contrast between the two worlds. But I did get out as a ninth grader and came to um, Alabama School of Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole change and focus because um, ASFA, which is the acronym for Alabama School of Fine Arts, Mm -hmm. basically is, you know, saved me from from that high school time. Right. And it really made a difference. Right. So it was probably, was this maybe the first time you were around other like-minded people where all these kids are all invested in the art form and wanting to move forward with it. That's right. Now I had done summers in New York at SAB and ABT, 
you know, I was scholarshiped for all of that. So some, some of that was validation for my um, peers in school. You know, once they saw that I was traveling as a young teen and because of my talent, right. then they were like, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe we shouldn't have beaten him up on the playground. Mm. <laughs> you know, maybe he wasn't, I mean, nobody should be beat, beaten up on the playground, but um, you know what I mean? It, it suddenly the validation changed from um, being a big sissy to, oh, maybe this guy has something. Right. Right. And you were like, I'm actually really special. <laughs> I'm doing something really cool. Exactly. And, and I'm getting to do a lot of things you'll never do in your whole life. Right. Oh, right. Victory yeah. is great, you know? <laughs> so um, what was your training like then when you went to that fine arts school? How did that kind of start to shift your view of what ballet could be? Kind of like starting to shift into this more serious training. Well, I, I was serious before that, but I didn't realize that I was not as serious as I thought I was right. until I got to Alabama School of Fine Arts. And everybody my age was way ahead of me mm-hmm. because their focus was dancing. Mm-hmm. They went to school and danced. They went to school and danced. And we didn't have a lot of um, time to do other things. Right. So when you become that focused, you can't help but improve. So I walked in and everybody was, you know, I thought, leaps and bounds ahead of me and they were but being determined uh, I caught up pretty quickly and I graduated from ASFA in 1983 and danced for a year in the Alabama Ballet Mm -hmm. which is the state's professional company and then um, I joined ABT in 1984. Mm -hmm. So what was that um how, how did those opportunities come about when you went into Alabama Ballet were you considering other companies at that point or was it just like, this is my home state, I'm, I'm going to stay local before I venture out? Well, I was young, you know, I was a teenager. So um, when I graduated at 18, I really felt like, I mean, I wanted to go to New York because I'd been to New York a lot of mm-hmm. summers and such. <clears throat> but I knew I really wasn't ready. And I felt like a year in the in the professional company would do me good. Right. And you know, living on my own and having my own apartment and kind of being more self-sufficient. And I had my family's support for all of that. And um, it just kind of worked out really well because by the time the season finished in Alabama, um, it was time to audition for companies in New York. Right. And in those days, that's where you went. You didn't go to the West Coast or to Miami. Mm -hmm. You went to New York. That was Mm -hmm. Becca. So Mm -hmm. that's all changed as we know now. But um, so I go to New York and I took company class with ABT on April 7th or 8th or something like that <laughs> in 1984. And Mr. Barishnikov was taking the class because he was still dancing at the time. And um, so I took class with the company. I nearly died, of course, about 10 times during the class. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I don't remember anything about how I danced in the class, but um, after the, after the, 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 the class came to an end. He came over to me and he said, um, can you join the company today? And I went, what? Today. Said, you start today. And I said, can I call my mom? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and he, he kind of laughed and he said, well, yeah, you know, there's a phone in the hallway. This is long before cell phones. So I go out to the hallway and he said, just pick up the phone and ask Roseanne for an outside line. And Roseanne still works there. I talked to her the other day. Oh my gosh. And she's the best ever. Um, And so she gave me an outside line so I could dial my mom at home. And she happened to answer the phone. And I said, mom, Barishnikov asked me if I could join ABT today. (laughs) She said, well, you can't join ABT today. And I went, what? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) not? Yeah, exactly. And she says, well, you have an apartment in Birmingham. You have to move to New York. You can't just start today. You have to oh, come yeah. tell him that you can come next week. And I was like, mom, I'm not telling. She goes, <laughs> tell him that I told you that you couldn't start till next week. She gave me the mom, you know, gritted teeth conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, ma'am. So I, over I go. And I said, my mom said I can't start till next week. Is that okay? And he kind of laughed again, like in disbelief mm-hmm. yeah. and was like, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> so I went, I flew home and 
packed up my apartment in Birmingham and packed my suitcases and moved to New York the next oh my week. Gosh. So the first, my first day at ABT was the opening night of Barishnikov's Cinderella at the Met in 1984. And I had been to the Met many times to see performances, but I'd never been backstage. Mm. So they said to me, just come and take class that first day and we'll, you know, get you all signed up and all that sort of stuff. So I did. But I couldn't find the stage door at the Met. You know, I walked around the building. I thought, oh, well, most of the time it's in the back, right? Well, there's yeah. you know, it's the sidewalk there. I'm like, there's a <laughs> <the> door. <laughs> so I finally clued in to follow some of the bunheads mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of stalk them. And, and sure enough, of course, the ABT girls were going to the stage door. So I followed them and got in. <laughs> right. In the nick of time, of course, I was mortified that I might be late and all uh-huh. this stuff. They hadn't thought two two things about me at that point. You know, they were right, trying right. to figure on that night. And so the company had done Cinderella on the tour, and I'm in the wing watching the dress rehearsal. And Anna Kisselgoff, who was the lead New York Times critic at that point for dance, um, was interviewing Mr. Barishnikov. Mm-hmm. And I was standing sort of near, and she asked him who was the newest member of the company. And he kind of looked around, and he went, him. Yeah. <laughs> So Do you she, know who she was? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. I don't know. Yeah, exactly <laughs> who she was. And so over she comes and she, I don't remember what she said or asked me, but she, she asked me a couple of questions and I had a quote in the New York times, my first day in it. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so that was my beginning of, of being an ABT and oh. it was a magical, magical time. Mm-hmm. For me and for the company, for my family. I want to rewind for a second because I think Mm -hmm. it's really important for our younger listeners to hear about how you took that year in Alabama Ballet before going off to like Mm -hmm. to such a big company. Because I think it's so easy for, you know, kids at that stage to have their eye on this on a big company, all the glitz and the glam, you know, glamour, and then maybe to be disappointed if they were to not get there. And so I wonder you obviously were, it was a very mature decision to say, I want to stay at home and take this extra year um, before I go and do auditions. Do you think that you would have gotten into ABT if you hadn't done that? And what do you feel like you learned that really helped um, set you up for success when you then auditioned at ABT? Well, I had more um, stage experience Mm -hmm. for doing an extra year in Alabama. And I think that made a huge difference for me getting to ABT. And I think if there's no need in anybody being in a big professional ballet company at 16 or 17 or 18 years old, there's just no need in it. Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, hindsight's 2020 in those days, that's what we did. Right. I mean, I was 19 when I got into the company. So, I mean, what's the difference, you know, (laughs) six months or something at that point. But I do think that maturity is important for young dancers. I think some, um, performance experience behind you, but also some life experience makes a big difference in your um, stability emotionally. And those things are really, really key for success for young people getting into a, a, a dance company of any size. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, our dance world is so different than when we were there. You know, in my day at ASFA, if you didn't get into ABT, you were not considered successful. Right. And nowadays, my kids are all working to get into the best universities and to the best conservatory programs in the country mm-hmm. so that they have more training. We try, always talk to them about having, you know, the four years of college or conservatory behind you so that when you get to a company, you're more useful. When right. yeah. you up in the company, you're contributing right away. Right. Yeah. That's such a great mindset. Um, so when you're, you are newly in ABT, um, opportunities came up pretty quickly for you. You were promoted through the ranks fairly quickly. Um, How did some of these opportunities come about? What were some of the first major things you were cast in? That's a great question. My um, first season, we did Donizetti variations from Balanchine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Misha had a relationship with New York City Ballet. So he was always looking, I think, this is my interpretation, that he was always looking for ways to challenge the company. Mm -hmm. And um, he brought Donizetti to the to the repertory. Well, I was in the core, one of the three mm-hmm. boys, in the short cast because I was on the smaller side. <clears throat> and 
And so we did the first tour of that the first year. And um, next, the next year comes around and it's still in the repertory and the basic casting goes up. I don't know if they do this in Miami, but they put up, you know, who's learning what. Right. And I, we all clamor around the board and those go up. And there on the list was all these principles for um, Donna Zetti. And then it went up. Harvey Chapman as the principal. And I'm like, typo, that's got to be, <laughs> that's completely wrong. Oh my God. Big mistake. I need to go tell somebody. <laughs> <clears throat> so sure enough, in a week or so, the first rehearsal goes up and I'm like mortified, right? Cynthia Harvey? <laughs> With me? <laughs> it's like, I couldn't believe it. I could barely look at her. Because she was so iconic in my right. mind, right. you and, and her mm-hmm. career so so well known. So um, I can only imagine what the conversation was like with with Cynthia, and I've never asked her with Cynthia and Misha about. I'm sure it was something like, "Just try, Cynthia. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's fine. We'll just you know we'll give you somebody else. It's no big deal." But I want to try and see if he can do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I frantically go, I knew I was familiar with the ballet, but I didn't know the pas de deux. I didn't know all the codas and stuff. I knew that thing is a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I ran to the video room. In those days, we were watching VHS and I learned the whole thing. Yeah. So I go into the first rehearsal and I'm about to, to die. Like I can barely stand it. Uh-huh. And Cynthia is so sweet and she's always been this way and so wonderful and easy to talk to. So th- this was all in my head, you know, that, that Cynthia Harvey wasn't going to, you know, kick me to the curb and now it's going to be back in the core. So she says, okay, well, do you want to, um, you want to go over it? And I was like, no, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes, okay. And I put my hand out, you know, really stiffly <laughs> to start the pot and out we go. And you guys probably know the balance. Mm-hmm. And we go right away, over to the corner, and she goes into fourth. She's all uh-huh. allongé everywhere. But. <clears throat> and she goes double pirouette to the arabesque, and I caught her on the first try. And she went under her breath. She went, oh, <laughs> let's go on. And then she was all, you know, all this, you know. This. And eventually we stopped. It wasn't, like, perfect right away. But I felt like in that moment, and I told her the story, and she remembers every second of her life. She's one of those people. And I'm not. Uh-huh. She, um, and I told her this and she remembered that, you know, that it went that well. Mm-hmm. And the first go. And I think that trust between the two of us was gained at that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had great success in that ballet as a young person because I had a lot of energy and determination. And that was sort of the big first principal moment I had. And that was my second year in the company. Right. Oh I mean, that's trial by fire. Donna Zetti as <laughs> your first part. That's not just, that's not um, like, it's a huge technical virtuoso role. So the, the fact that you were able to do it yeah. on your first try, I think must have instilled a huge amount of trust in mm-hmm. the staff as well as your partner. It was. And I, and I think that um, from that sort of time forward, um, Mr. Brishnikov felt like, he could trust me mm-hmm. and he was still in that phase of building his company. And I was um, one of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Michael knows, I'm a huge proponent of um, doing your homework and watching videos before you go into <laughs> rehearsals. Um, but, you know, I like that though. And I, when I teach, I like to tell my students that too, that you can prove your worth and your, um, ability to help the company and be an important part of the company when you do something like that, where you come in prepared, like, of course, that's not necessary. They weren't expecting you to know the ballet, but the fact that you did that then was like, Oh, you know, he's, he's smart. We can rely on him. And, you know, so I, I find that to be such a good, um, story and lesson from that perspective too, because if you have that ability to do it and go into the video room and watch, do it, you know, so that you can really be prepared and feel good in rehearsal. That's right. And, and I instilled that um, in the young people that I work with, because I'm now the, the dance chair for Alabama School of Fine Arts. That's another big circle. But I always talk about these kinds of stories and hopefully getting them to 
take responsibility for their work as well. Right. Our friend Jennifer Lauren, who you have worked with at Alabama Ballet, she does that kind of stuff too. And I wonder if maybe that is something that you that you imparted, imparted on Jennifer. On her. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, but Jennifer was like that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I just made it more. Um, <laughs> she was like, oh, this is this is great. I wanted to do this. So it looks <laughs> like I should and I will. <laughs> exactly. So um, let's talk a little bit about your tenure as um, director of Alabama Valley. So this is one of many full circles in your life. Um, this was in 1996. You took over the company. What made that uh, a good fit, a good choice for your life at that, that point? Um, obviously, you had a huge success in New York, but to come home and then lead a company, it's a big shift. It was a big shift. And I always wanted to be an artistic director. Mm. And part of that was because a lot of people told me, my peers at ABD were always saying, Wes, one day you'll be a director. You'll see. Nah, nah, nah. And I was like, mm, mm, mm. I'm still doing double tours, you know. Then you yeah. know. <laughs> and um, it, it became very clear that I was um, sort of coming to the end of my time at ABT. Kevin had taken over as the artistic director. And um, I wasn't being as cast as much as um, I had been previously through the years. And I'd been to Europe and danced in Munich and done a couple of years there and came back to ABT. And um, I just felt like the the curve had finished for me Mm -hmm. as being a lead dancer at ABT. And it was a it was a really weird moment. I was in my apartment on 15th Street and between 5th and 6th Avenue in New York. And I wasn't on that week and I was sitting on the sofa going, oh, God, you know, I'm getting out of shape and, um, you know, what am I going to do? And I got tired of doing the gym and trying to, you know, keep my physicality up. So in my head and in my heart, I finally went, "Okay, you have to let go. You have to let go of ABT. Next phase is coming up. I don't know what it is. And I am not kidding when I say this. 15 seconds later, when I let that go from my heart, not just my mind, but my heart, the phone rang in the apartment. And it was the president of the board of Alabama Valley, whom I knew from my time there. And he said, hey, Wes, we need an artistic director for Alabama Valley. Are you interested in that? And I was so flabbergasted <laughs> that I was like, you know, I could barely get out of my mouth that, yeah, absolutely. I was interested in applying. And he said, well, why don't you apply? And then we'll see about getting you an interview. So a few weeks later, I was on the plane to Birmingham. And a couple of weeks after that, they named me artistic director. So I moved my life from New York back to Alabama. Did you have like a retirement show a retirement moment. No, interesting. And how do you feel? Cause not to make it about me, but I also didn't have one. And sometimes I, I think about that a lot. And I wonder if like, which one is better? Cause maybe it's also terrible to have a retirement show. Cause you know, it's the end. How, how did you kind of, you know, deal with that? Or were you just like, I have something new. I'm ready to go. It was like that. I, I, I was really hurt that I didn't have, um, more acknowledgement of my contribution to ABT because I had a huge contribution to ABT. And a lot of people don't know that because now we're decades away from that. And I don't need that to be good with myself at all. But um, at the time I felt like, you know, a little bit jilted, but, um, but with being named artistic director at Alabama ballet, um, you know, right there, I was fine because I had this whole new focus mm-hmm. and I'm extremely focused. Yeah. So my whole, my whole life changed. Mm-hmm. So I was okay with moving forward from there. And I danced some for Alabama ballet while directing. Oh, I quickly cool. discovered how everybody says you can't dance and direct a company because <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could, of course. And everybody has the same story. So um, my focus became so intense on directing Alabama ballet that, that part of it was a chapter of my life and career, but it was not the only chapter. Trained at the North Carolina School of the Arts and the School of American Ballet, at 20 years of age, Michael Langlois was invited by Mikhail Bershnikov to join American Ballet Theater. Having seemingly made it to the top of his profession, he nevertheless spends his nights on stage at the Metropolitan Opera House, filling the gaps between the stars and the scenery, 
watching his colleagues dance in ways that he himself can only dream of. B+, his memoir of a 16-year career, is an unflinching view of the joys and hardships in a career in dance, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most prestigious dance companies in the world during the height of the ballet boom in this country. Get your copy of B+, now, wherever books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books and Books, or you can click the link in the description of this episode. We want to tell you about a product that I am currently obsessed with, the Olive & June Manicure Systems. I've heard about their products before and how they were bringing salon-quality manicures right to your home. It did take me a little while to decide to finally dive in and give it a try, but I have to say, believe the hype. Their at-home Manny systems include everything you need to get the perfect manicure, plus they have tons of online resources that offer tips and tricks of the trade. Save time and money with the perfect at-home manicure that truly lasts and lasts. I couldn't believe when I heard that their polish lasts a week or longer, but seriously, they do. I have even traveled across the country with no chip in sight, which we all know is a small miracle. They have so many beautiful colors, including gorgeous nude polishes that are perfect for onstage or in the studio. My favorite is called CCT. It would definitely be my go-to if I were still performing. Through Conversations on Dance, we are happy to offer our listeners 20% off their first-time order of any Olive and June system when you use code DANCE20 at checkout. That's DANCE20, all one word, or click the link in the description of this episode. The best way to support Conversations on Dance is to patronize our sponsors, so happy shopping! So what was the, the state of the company like when you took over? Um, how many dancers were there and what was the rep? And what was then your approach to making that grow or change into your vision? Well, when I got to ABT, I didn't understand that we, because Misha had brought so many new choreographers to, to the repertory. And I think partly because he wanted to dance those types of choreographers as well. Sure. But he knew innately and I'm speaking from my point of view on this, I think he knew innately that dancers need more than just being classical ballet dancers. Mm -hmm. And he single-handedly started to change the dance world by bringing in a variety of downtown choreographers. We had David Gordon, we had Carol Armitage, we had all these people that in Twyla, of course, was mm -hmm. a staple already at that point, um, and others. So when I got to Alabama Ballet, I thought everybody did everything because that's what we did. Right. And so when I got there, they were doing some contemporary works, but Balanchine's Concerto Barocco is, you know, considered a modern day classic now. It's not right. that, that kind of a ballet. So I proceeded to bring in choreographers and do more Balanchine. And we ended up getting the Balanchine Nutcracker, which I brought to the repertory for Alabama, and they still do. Mm -hmm. um, so I just had this whole broad view of this company needed to grow or not be around. Mm -hmm. And we went from 16 dancers to 40 dancers wow. Wow. and the budget increased by twofold or threefold. Mm -hmm. We built a building, we built a school for the first time, um, we started a summer program, which all these things still go, are still going strong. And in Alabama, ballet is not the first focus. It's football. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge Alabama football fan. So I love all that too. But there are a lot of people here that want to see the ballet and go to mm -hmm. the center, do all those things. So um, our audience grew and we had a very exciting time with, with that, my 10 years there. And I felt like when I left ABT or left Alabama Ballet that I had kind of gotten to a point where I had taken the company as far as I could take it. Sure. And that the, the excitement and the energy that I brought to it had sort of reached a plateau. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, ABT called me. Kevin called me after 10 years of being away and saying, hey, um, that we had several kids from dancers from, from Alabama Ballet School that were joining ABT. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing, but I would like to have some of that. Mm -hmm. So and he had an opening for Ballet Master. So I um, auditioned for that and he offered me the job and I, I packed up and moved back to New York. When you're talking about Alabama, maybe like you're saying, it's a football kind of place, you know, and 
what ballet wasn't a main focus. It makes me think of what Edward Vallello would tell us about Miami in a similar way. He felt like he kind of had to introduce ballet and classical ballet to the community and kind of like grow that interest from the ground up. And so it sounds a little bit similar to your experience. So what do you feel like were some of the things that you did that were really instrumental in growing the audience, not just like adding more dancers, you know, all of that, like really creating this community surrounding Alabama ballet. We had, um, there, there were several outreach programs in place when I took the company and I, I, I felt like we needed to work on those further and to strengthen those. And we did some of that. Um, and then doing repertory that the company had never done before, like Cinderella, things that I knew were going to sell. Mm-hmm. And these were um, ballets that the company had never done before. So we started doing some of those, but also started doing um, things that that I felt were instrumental in growing the dancers, but also instrumental in growing our audience. So the Don Q's and the Cinderella's, and we did a Dracula, which was hugely successful. We did um, uh, a Jekyll and Hyde, which was the first time that had ever been done um, subject matter wise. Um, it didn't get a lot of publicity, but we did end up on Jeopardy as a question for it. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that. That was hilarious. That's, so fun. That's awesome. <clears throat> So we, we just, I just felt like, you know, there were a lot of things that were right when I got there and that I just wanted to strengthen those things and diversify the repertory. Because if I could get the audience to come and see a Don Q, maybe they would come and see a repertory performance as well. Mm-hmm. And, and they did. And, um, you know, and that's a long, long road for any company to build an audience and especially in, in those days. Right. So how did you know then that, um, ballet master position would fulfill your artistic needs at this point in your life, as well as a directorship had? What, what made that position appealing to you? That's a great question. I was seduced by being part of ABT again. Mm-hmm. And it, ABT's always been in my heart and will always be there. And I felt like if I could make a contribution to the company in a different way, then I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. What I found out was, is that I'm a terrible ballet master. <laughs> I'm a terrible ballet master. I'm a great coach for the principals in the classic. Mm-hmm. I'm a great teacher for um, traditional ballet and that sort of stuff. Um, I'm not a great study the video and stage twilight arts in the upper room. Right. Oh my gosh, that's got to be the hardest one ever to stage. I can't imagine doing yeah. that per room. <laughs> I, I, I find it's like, it's interesting as some, I, I stage ballets as well, and that there's this balance between that ability, like the study the video thing. And then to me, what the more exciting part was then coaching the ballet. But it is like a two pronged skill set, you know, and most people, every ballet master skews towards one side of things. Well, and there are people that, that stage the Twilo work, for example, that are expert mm-hmm. and they can do it in their sleep and it just amazes me. Now they've done it a lot. So that helps. Right. But I was assigned Twilas in the upper room and I was ballet master. I was like, what? And I had done, I had danced the ballet, right? but not a lot. I'd only mm-hmm. done an emergency a couple of three times. So um, I didn't know it wasn't in my body. Right. right. You know, I get my list of ballets that I'm supposed to be ballet mastering. And I was like, really? Upper room? <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the hardest ones out there. It like it was be. always, we, it was always in the rep at Miami, but it was just such a, a hassle to try to get it up and running. And, yeah. and you, which I'm assuming, did you do the, the ballet men or the stompers? I did the ballet men when I was so, then you know, it's like two stompers, different valleys, really. yeah, it's, it's a separate valley. So you have to learn that from scratch. And like you said, it's not in your body. That's really well, hard. Part was is that Keith Roberts, who was staging for Twilight at that point, is an expert on that one. Right. And they brought Keith in. And mm-hmm. I basically assisted him and just kind of took the rehearsals once he was gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so from from that point, but it didn't take me long to figure out I was not a good valley master at all. And so I told Kevin, I said, look, Kevin, you know, I, I just, and I was still artistic director at Alabama Valley. So I was flying 
back and forth between wow. ABT and the ballet. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, we had staff here that were doing a great job, but, you know, you know how it is when big daddy shows up, everybody acts right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they act better anyway. Right. Sure. So I was probably back and forth to Birmingham, I don't know, nine or 10 times in that year. And you know, when you walk up to the Delta counter and they say, oh, Wes, are you going back to Birmingham today? <sighs> you know, you're traveling. Right. To the destination a lot. Anyway. <laughs> So um, I did that year and I finally told Kevin, I think it was in Chicago um, on tour and we were doing Romeo and I was doing Aeschylus and I was having anxiety dreams. You know, those dreams where you can't yeah. get on the costume. Yeah. Hear the music. Oh, those never end. Have they ended for you? No. <laughs> no? Okay. And I was having those and I thought, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. This is making my, this is not making me happy. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't anything that ABT had done. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with, I felt like my contribution wasn't strong. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do this, I want to be good at it. Right. So I told him, I said, look, you know, um, I feel like I need to go back to Alabama. The company needs me there. I'm not helping. Like I thought I could. And thank you for giving me this opportunity, but I need to do something different. And he was like, well, okay. And so uh, then ABT2 became available during mm-hmm. the interim between that time and when I was going to go back to Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I said to Kevin, I said, so ABT two is open. Um, would you consider me as the director for that? And he said, well, I thought you were going home to Alabama. And I said, well, not if ABT two is open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got that job and then off we go on a different adventure of the super ninjas, the teenage elite mm-hmm. and me off we go uh, literally around the world right and that was probably the best part of being back at abt was that time for me mm-hmm. and did you let go of alabama ballet then at that point I did. Yeah. yeah i had to let go of the company then and there are two current artistic directors tracy alvey and she's had the company for i don't know 13 years or 14 years and has you know taken the company to the next level which was the whole point right and, and she's done that, but, but the back to ABT two for a second, um, it was the studio company when I had it at first. And I said, well, you know, we could be all over the place if we were ABT two. So we changed the name and our agent loved that because suddenly they could market that to their small cities. Mm-hmm. And we were literally from Anchorage to Key West, to Europe, to Southern California, to Maine mm-hmm. and Central America. We had such a great, great time. And from that time, there were a lot of dancers that came out of that, my four years as director of ABT2, that are now leading dancers in the world. Right. What a great accomplishment. Mm, that was and that was probably the highlight of all of that for me. Yeah. And so then again, you have a full circle back and you're coming back to Alabama. How did that ultimately come to pass? Well, a lot of things happened from when they... ABT closed ABT2. We lost a main donor mm-hmm. that, that passed, and that was devastating for us. And ABT2, ABT2 became defunct, and then they reopened it after they let me go as the studio company again. So that was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but it's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it put me on the uh, freelance world, sort of not by choice. And I I was a little nervous about that. And I thought, oh, God, I wasn't even on Facebook. I joined Facebook and that was, you know, stressful. (laughs) I learned quickly to take your birthday off of that. God, (laughs) don't tell anybody your birthday. Yikes. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I started the freelance gig. And before I knew it, I was so busy that I was gone almost 300 nights a year, Wow! which, which I was not happy about because, um, you know, the money was good and it was good on the ego, but I just got really tired of hotels and airplanes and, you know, oh, yeah. a row of that. So, um, I did that for about five years. Wow. And I was 
kind of not desperate, but I was really like, okay, what am I going to do? I need to settle down. This is awful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and PTSD, you know, driving to the airport, you know, was horrifying. And and you know how it is. I mean, you know, you don't know if the plane's going to go and you're going to get there. The hotel's awful and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) et cetera. You know, I'm being a little precious, but um, I met a lot of people through that. And um, I moved back to Birmingham because I had a house here still. I'd been renting my house. And all the stars lined up and Alabama school of fine arts needed a dance chair. And there I was. And so I applied and here I am. I'm starting my sixth year right now. Started back in August. And, um, you know, it's extremely rewarding teaching high school kids, but it's extremely challenging. Don't I know it? Same, same over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I wanted to ask, um, of course, it's like a beautiful full circle moment. But um, even when I went back to Miami City Valley, like three years after I had left, you already feel this shift from your time. How how similar does it feel to your time uh, as a student? Like, do you still feel that connection on a daily basis where like, you could be 18 walking through those doors? Or is it just like a different world? It's a, such a different world, because right. we live in such a different world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, in the bigger picture of, of all of that, our focus at Aspen now is um, giving the dancer the full experience, not just in classical ballet. We have a hip hop teacher now. We have two modern teachers. Thom Black, who is a dancer at ABT, is a soloist, is my other ballet teacher. Um, we just have this extraordinary staff that dance faculty that are just bring so much to the table we work on improvisation we work on um, choreography the seniors do a new choreographic work each each year for their um, senior project it's just a totally different world it's not even close to the same and again we're not trying to get kids into the major companies right away we're trying to get them into some of the best schools so that they have a better opportunity later Mm-hmm. So if any uh, young dancers are listening and are interested in the program, is there a way that they can maybe apply? Where's the information? Yeah, we have a website and you can Google search Alabama School of Fine Arts. It's the second oldest high school for the public, public high school for the arts in the country next, next wow. to the North Carolina School of the Arts. So we're 53 years old or something like that. We do have boarding facilities. We have state-of-the-art dance studios and um, a really great faculty. Um, ASFA is not for everybody, mm-hmm. but if it is for you, um, it's a great place to be. And we've had a lot of kids, a lot of students through the past five years from out of state and a lot from in-state because it's it's free if you are a resident of the state of Alabama. Wow. Very because, good. That's amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. And um, in you know, we say it's a, a well-kept secret. I don't think it is because uh, I have a lot of a lot of alums from other departments because we have um, five other departments besides dance, including math and science and creative writing, theater arts, visual arts, and music. And uh, Laverne Cox is from Alabama School of Fine Arts. Wow. Wow. I can't think of the lady that wrote the Hunger Games, but she's also an ASFA. Suzanne oh. Collins? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, wow, that's cool. But you'd be surprised the people that are, Kathleen Moore, who was a principal at ABTs from ASFA. Sean Black was a soloist at ABT from ASFA. Um, the list goes on. It's mm-hmm. it's quite the place. Right. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like an incredible program. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about something that I imagine was on your list of things where you were going to the airport and staying in hotels and (laughs) one of your many freelance uh, opportunities, but uh, you've been a judge at the universal ballet competition for several years now. And um, we're just about to gear up to the 21, 22 universal ballet competition. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about your thoughts on why that's important for young dancers to participate in what it can sort of offer them or what that, why that experience is valuable for a young dancer. That's a great question too. I um, serve as the chairman of the jury for universal ballet competition. So I am present for all of those competitions and that competition has grown tremendously in the past four or five years. And to the point where we're doing a final 
this year mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. But um, I think what, what I like about the competition world, there's a lot of things I don't like, but there's things I do like. The one thing I like about it is the dancer has preparation time and um, rehearsing their solos and getting ready for the competition. And the time with the coach, whoever that might be, I think every dancer has something to learn from everybody that's in that position as a coach. Right. So, so from that point of view, it's a really good thing. The stage time is good because stage time is hard to get. Mm-hmm. You know, in our right. in our years at ABT, we were on the road for eighteen weeks in a row, mm-hmm. and then we'd go to the Met for eight or ten weeks or something, and so forth and so on. So. You know, the principals at ABT during that time were begging for some of the younger dancers to get on. So right. they on so much. So they had a little bit better break. And we don't have those opportunities like we did. And especially young people don't have as much. So I think the opportunity for them to have stage time, to have coaching time, but also to build um, relationships with other dancers their age that they don't know. Mm-hmm. Get to know people that and I'm always talking about how you build your network, your personal network. So when you get to meet other dancers that are in the competition with you, get to meet their coaches and know more about their school and where they're coming from and what their strengths are and so forth and so on, then they are starting to build that network. Mm -hmm. And those networks can make you be more successful or help you to be more successful. So that's one aspect I like about it. The other thing that the competition, the Universal Ballet competition focuses on is master classes and, and time where the kids, the dancers have time to um, be coached by, by the judges. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly when you, when I have coached a kid in a, in a class, just a classroom, not necessarily on their variation, I feel like I know that kid better. So mm-hmm. when I see them on the stage, I have, a, a better way to give them feedback to help them because the uh, universal ballet competition uses the microphone. So we're able to talk to them during the variation and then they'll get their feedback from each judge while their variation is going on. So like a studio, like a studio environment kind of that's similar right. to that. Yeah, that's right. And, and to me, that's one of the strengths of universal ballet competition besides the fact they're extremely organized. I mean, these people, have it down and um, I'm so proud of of how well they do and so proud to be part of that competition and to to be the chairman of the jury and I I don't know how I became the chairman of the jury I I think it was just an accident but (laughs) but Lizette Lucas is a great great leader and very creative and her husband David is wonderful as well and you know we've just it's turned into a family Mm -hmm. and you know how it is when you when you have those kinds of relationships with people, um, it it becomes more important. And so, Universal Ballet Competition has become really important to me. And um, we've grown. I mean, we're in California, we're going to Denver, we're doing all these new cities this year, and um, that's very exciting. And if we can reach more kids and give them a positive dance experience, then I hope that helps keep our art form vibrant. It's funny because um, Michael and I never did competitions growing up, but whenever we talk to people on the podcast who are like fearless performers, generally we always find that they did competitions growing up. And I Mm -hmm. find that really interesting that it's like that, that pressure of um, performing, right? Like when you just do a recital as a kid, you know, you're just, it's like, you're out there for fun. And then when you become a professional, all of a sudden there's like, my career is on the line. My next you know, performance, my next role is all on the line. And so when you're coming from a competition aspect, you've already kind of had some pressure in your performing. So I find that, that that can be really helpful down the line with those like performance anxieties. Is that something that you find when you talk to the dancers as well? I I think that's an individual thing, but yes. And I think that happens more often than not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my time, the, the, competition world wasn't like it is now oh no yeah it was the international ballet competition in jackson in that circuit and that was it mm-hmm. or any other things that i was aware of mm-hmm. and now there's there's so many opportunities and universal ballet competition continues to be one of the top 
um, competitions because the experience is so good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because sometimes you can end up in those competitions and it's not good. And you've got dance moms on the side and trying to make it hard, and you know, whatever, you know, and that's the part I don't like about competition. But um, overall in, in UBC, we call it UBC, they, they, they're just stars in, in the sky on this stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm so pleased to be part of it. And then to see our winners, you know, go to companies and to do great things is even more prideful and more exciting. Right. Can you tell us also about the, I think there's an online program, right? Where there are some um, people from universities can log on, right? And watch the students. And it's like another way that dancers can get exposed to other opportunities. Is that right? Right. And, you know, the pandemic has taught us so many new things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gone kicking and screaming on technology for the most part. <laughs> As we're on a Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> and now I know how to Zoom now. Ooh, God. <laughs> Don't we? <laughs> and, you know, teaching on Zoom is terrible, but it's better than nothing. Of course. And, and the, in, in the, in Rebecca, in that, in that regard, the, um, yeah, having the opportunity for people to Zoom in and see a class from all over the world and potentially make you an offer for a university position or, an apprenticeship or something like that is, you know, it's remarkable. It's magic in terms of how things used to be. You know, you had to fly to wherever to get an audition. You had to do all those kinds of things. So suddenly we're just zoomed in on a computer like we're doing right now. And, you know, we're all connected. So that is a great benefit from Zooming and pandemic and those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are there any particular success stories or moments you felt touched by from your time at UBC? There's so many um, because we've seen so many good dancers come by. And I, I think the bigger picture for me is when, you know, when we started, they started some years ago now, I don't even know how long. Um, I think I came in on their second year, but to see the the little babies and like eight or 10 years later, win the whole thing, oh. you know, to win the Grand Prix of the competition mm-hmm. is so exciting to me because I'm like, wait, I know this kid and I've known this kid for 10 years and now they're not a kid and they're really spectacular. That's to me, that's the big reward is to right. get to see their growth. And then a lot of times, you know, I'll know their teachers just because mm-hmm. I know those people. Right. And, um, you know, getting to talk with them about their their progress as students. And, oh, and by the way, we've got this other one coming up. Just wait till you see this one. You know, so that whole excitement, that energy, I think, helps keep our art form alive mm-hmm. and keeps it relevant. Yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like such a wonderful way for young dancers to grow. Uh, anyone who wants to participate in the competition can go to universalballetcompetition.com and register for one of the dates. Um, there, I think it's a, more than a half a dozen cities that are um, participating. So it's a really widely available, great program for young dancers to be a part of. Yeah, it really is. I think we're doing nine cities this year, and that's the most we've ever done. So we're excited about the, the growth, but also excited about the opportunities that the dancers will have to perform. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was so lovely chatting with you, and we hope that Um, everyone will check out the Universal Ballet competition and thank you so much Wes for your time you're welcome nice to meet both of you you too thank you Wes Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it. 
with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.